I'd like to say good morning to you as well and welcome you to Lakeside Christian Church uh, by what I believe a, a peculiar providence of God. We're blessed that next Sunday, as today we're finishing up a sermon series through the vision of Lakeside Christian Church, which is to love God, to care for all people, and to communicate his word. When we talk about communicating his word, we think of it in terms of locally communicating his word, regionally communicating his word, and globally communicating his word. And next Sunday, one of the missionaries that we support, Lakeside supports three uh, missions organizations or missionaries throughout the world. Uh, CLM, which is in southern Brazil and operates uh, two children's orphanages. Steve and Heather Holsenbach, who will be on their way to become medical missionaries in Mali, Africa. And Scott and Oksana Sobi, which are missionaries in Ukraine. They're actually in town on a furlough for about two months, and so Scott will be with us next Sunday and preach from God's word for us. So we'll get to hear from Scott directly. We're going to have a lunch after church, and so all of you uh, will have a chance to meet them personally, but they also have a website, thesobies.com, and some of the pages on the website are up there for you. So even in advance of their presence with us next week and Scott's message for us as a congregation, we encourage you to take some time this week, look up thesobies.com, and consider, uh, get some more information about their ministry, what Ukraine is like, and ways that you can intentionally pray for them so that when you have the opportunity uh, to see them in person and maybe ask them a question uh, you, can, you can ask that question, having been informed of some of the work that they are already doing, but we are incredibly excited that they are willing to come and join us next week, and so we encourage you to come to invite somebody else uh, to be here and to hear what God is doing in Ukraine uh, through this family and through this pastor. Also this week, we have starting in our local school system, which is one of our regional commitments, a good news club is beginning again at Judith Resnick. And if you're interested in participating, if you have the availability, it's a two-hour commitment on Tuesdays from 2.15 to 4.15. But Good News Club is connected to Child Evangelism Fellowship, and Good News Club is an after-school program which we actually have supported in multiple school systems. But kids in a public school can stay after for two hours and receive uh, Bible instruction through a Bible club called the Good News Club. At this particular school, we have 100 kids enrolled in the club from kindergarten through fifth grade. And so we can use as many volunteers and helpers that are willing to participate. And if you're nervous about it and you want to come for a week and see what it's like and see where you might fit, you're more than welcome to do that. But this Tuesday, it starts up again at Judith Resnick, which is only about a mile away from here on Market Street uh, towards Akron. And if you have more specific questions, you can ask Barbara Velios or any of the regular volunteers that help. But it begins, and it's a 12-week commitment starting up here now in the spring uh, to share the gospel in a public school in our area. And so we encourage you to consider it. And if you're not able to do it, we recognize from 2.15 to 4.15 on Tuesday won't work for everybody. We hope that you are regularly thinking about ways that you can be communicating the gospel to others. Because that is what we are called to do as a body of believers. To think together how we can communicate his word. And to focus on that very subject, we'll turn in our Bibles to Jeremiah 33, which if you're using one of the pew Bibles that was provided for you, you'll find it on page 662. And before we consider what is this great news and vision that Jeremiah received in prison, we'll turn one more time to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles, we ask that you would give us open minds and open hearts. Father, many of us struggle with just being familiar with what your message is. And we're so familiar with it that when we hear it afresh, it doesn't move us. It doesn't motivate us. It doesn't encourage us to action. It sounds almost like the same old thing. And Father, we repent from that because the news is so great, it's so amazing that it should never become boring or dry or stale to us. And so we pray that your spirit would fall fresh on us, that you would help us to get into the experience that Jeremiah had in a prison cell, and that the joy and the wonder that he would have experienced in getting this vision from you would capture our imaginations, our dreams, It will motivate our actions together to communicate your word, to do it in the the immediate context of our lives with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, to partner together with other believers, to do it throughout our area. And Father, believing that your purposes reach to the ends of the earth, to consider ways to support and to promote and to encourage your word in every nation, in every tongue, to every people. We pray for nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you're there in Jeremiah 33, on page 662, we're going to read the chapter in its entirety. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword, they are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath, for I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold... I will bring to it health and healing and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. 
Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. And thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste, without man or beast, and in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill countries, in the cities of the Shephelah, in the cities of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David my servant may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sands of the sea cannot be measured. So I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant and the Levitical priest who minister to me The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying, the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose. Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. This concludes our reading for today. What an amazing passage of promise that the Lord gave to Jeremiah Whereas verse 1 tells us he was still shut up in the court of the guard. 
Just a a recap of where we are, chapters 32 and 33, Jeremiah has been imprisoned, not in a prison like we would think of in terms of a jail cell, but more in terms of a house arrest, because he has been giving a message to the king and to the people that destruction was going to come through the hands of the Babylonians. And the king, not liking the message that Jeremiah was giving, seeing how it affected the morale of the people, and unwilling to repent in any way, the king took the prophet and bound him in prison. Well, at the same time that Jeremiah was bound in prison, the whole city of Jerusalem was besieged by Babylon. The city was surrounded, and so there was very limited access for resources or travel to come to Jerusalem. And so from the perspective of the dwellers in the city, it was only a matter of time. But they were surrounded by the Babylonians, and the prophet was surrounded by his own guard supplied by his own king. It was a dark period in Israel's history. But it was in this very period, while Jeremiah was in prison, that he received visions and promises of hope and the future. So that we've titled this entire series, Hope. God gave to Jeremiah something which he could now have hope in, even though his individual circumstance was, from any just natural way of looking at things, a desperate situation. And here are some of the words that we're able to see that gave Jeremiah hope, even though he was bound, even though his nation was bound. Because what Jeremiah ultimately realized is that God was not bound. And so we saw in in the first portion of, of chapter 32 where God comes to Jeremiah while in prison and challenges him to purchase a piece of property. In a land where property's not going to be valued anymore, deeds will be irrelevant once Babylon comes in, God comes to his prophet and says to him, I want you to make an investment in this land. I want you to be an example for all of the people who don't believe in a future, who do not have hope, and I want you to testify to your hope by purchasing a piece of property. And so Jeremiah calls witnesses together, and he purchases a piece of property in a very public way, showing to the people that he believes in the promises of God. And so we saw how oftentimes our willingness to love God and to grow in our relationship to him, we will experience that he asks us to do things that are risky. He asks us to do things that testify to our hope and our confidence in him, even when the world around us doesn't seem to get what it is we're hoping in. And so Jeremiah purchased this piece of property as a testimony to his confidence in God. And then last week we saw how the rebellion of the people from God, it didn't just affect their worship, but it affected the way they treated one another. And so we saw last week that one of the most popular ideas that floats around in our culture today is a lie, which is that it doesn't really matter what you believe about God Or if you believe anything about God, all that matters is if we can simply get along together. If we can treat one another well, who cares what you believe about God? Where the Bible always insists, what we believe about God affects the way we treat one another. 
what we believe about God affects the way we treat one another. So that at the very same time that the people of Israel were rebelling against God and worshiping idols, they started abusing one another. And they started manipulating one another. And because of that abuse, the judgment from Babylon came upon them. And so our love for God will work itself out in our taking risks for God and also the way in which we treat one another. Do we care for one another? Well, if we believe that God has made us all and that he's made us all equal, that he has put his image in each and every one of us, then we ought to be characterized by the care and the concern and the love that we have for one another. And here, a message now again comes, a promise of the future. Even though Jeremiah believes it, even though he's already taken a risk in purchasing a piece of property, God brings the message again to him. And some of us are there. We've heard the message before. We've taken steps in faith in response to it. But that was a couple of years ago, maybe. And it would be nice to get some reaffirmation of the promise that was given. Even though we believe it, even though we're acting in obedience to it, God is merciful to bring his good news to us again and again, and this he does to Jeremiah. He says, though the judgment is coming, and our passage describes this judgment graphically, things will get so bad in Jerusalem that neither beast nor man will dwell there. It's just going to be a ghost town. You're not going to hear wedding bells ring in a church where somebody's celebrating a wedding. People aren't even going to be able to appropriately bury their dead. It's just going to be a desolate wasteland. Nobody's going to be there. The destruction will be complete and total. And this is something that all of the people are sensing is on its way. And the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says... Even though that will happen, I promise you a future. I promise this place a future. And one of the things that we learn from the very beginning is that our sin and our rebellion in no way affects the way in which we are valued by God. This is something I think we all struggle with. When we disobey God and rebel against him, we think of ourselves as less valuable to him. And the Bible insists that as being a part of his creation, we are infinitely valuable. Because his image is marked upon us, we are priceless. And even when we choose to rebel against him and disobey him, We don't lessen in our worth or our value. And so when we encounter somebody, not only ourselves, but somebody else who we see is walking away from God, that person is not less valuable than you are. They're lost. They're not any less important than you are. They're lost. And when you yourself are the wanderer, and the one rebelling and the one disobeying, you are not any less valued in the eyes of God who made you and put his mark upon you 
but you're lost. And you need to be recovered in the direction in which your life is heading. And so God, coming to these people, and even though the judgment is coming, he gives them a promise because to him, they are always and forever valued in his eyes. And so he brings this promise, and the promise is twofold. There's, and so I'd like to break up the message in two categories, the what of the promise and the how of the promise. What is it that God is going to do And then in in two subcategories, he promises peace and he promises a person. He promises peace and he promises a person. Look at what he says in verse 6. I will bring it, the city, to health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I'll restore the fortunes and rebuild them as they were. I will cleanse them from the guilt of all their sin. I'll forgive all the guilt of their sin. And this city shall be to me a name of joy and praise and glory before all the nations. So much so, they're going to fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I will provide for it. And then verse 10 and 11 promises that in this desolate place, there is again going to be the restoring of normal relations. The bride and bridegroom are going to be able to be married. People will be able to come back into the sanctuary and worship with singing. In verses 12 and 13, the shepherds will be able to care for their flocks. They'll be able to count them as they did before, but it it paints this picture of a city and a society where peace exists, where you have the opportunity to grow, to prosper, where what you own and possess is secure, and you're not afraid of somebody else taking it from you or being jealous of you because you have it. But it paints this picture of what we'll sometimes describe as a utopia, a, a society where things are going well, shalom, peace in all the relationships. And when we look at the way in which it's described, whether we come here today as a believer in the Lord Jesus or not, there is something about this vision and this place that captures our imaginations. What would it be like to live in a world like this, where people would fear and tremble because of how good the blessing of God was being poured out upon everybody. And the prosperity and the security and the health and the community and relationships that would happen when something like this was being experienced. It's a vision that captures the imagination of all of us. We long to be in a place like that. In a place where there is protection over rights where justice is served. But then the prophet continues and the message that comes to him continues and says that this peace will come about because of a person. It says in verse 14, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made, and in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David 
and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And so in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. There is a person who will come who will bring about the peace that has been promised. And this person in verse 17 and 18 will fulfill a twofold function. It says that David will never lack a man to sit on his throne. And so this person who will come will be a king. And then verse 18 says, And the Levitical priest will never lack a man in my presence to provide offerings. And so this person will be a priest, a king and a priest. But one who is able to keep both of those functions that existed in Israel going forever. And this will come about from a branch of David. When you look at the language of a branch, Jeremiah uses it before in chapter 23, and Isaiah uses the language as well. When Isaiah describes the branch, he says a branch will spring forth from the stump of Jesse. So that if you could get a picture in your mind of a tree that's been cut down, and so all you see is this very large stump, and then from it in some way that you don't understand through a crack, there's a a branch that is springing up. So that at one and the same time, what you are looking at is revealing to you some destruction that's taken place. The stump is telling you there was a tree, and it was a beautiful tree, but it's not there anymore. It either was blown in a wind or was cut down, but when you see the stump, you see life that used to be there that no longer is. And it's large, and you say, this, this, this took years to grow. This was no small tree that grew. And so you look at it, and you can weep over the destruction that's happened. And yet, if you can observe a branch that's coming forth and new life that is springing up, you can begin to have hope again that life will go on, that there will be another tree, a greater tree, planted in such a way that it can never be cut down. And so in the very same image, you see both the judgment of God and the promise of God to bring about all that he has said he would do. And so we as Christians, when we look at this description of this promise of peace, which we believe most of the world hungers after and most of our institutions strive to bring about, whether it's through educating people through technology in ways to bring about better healing and health or in business to pursue prosperity, or in uh, supranational organizations to mediate conflicts between countries and to so bring about peace, so much of our effort and our energy is used to bring about this very reality, to bring about shalom and peace, a society that is characterized like this society is characterized. And yet for us, our hope in that comes because of the person that is also promised to bring that about. 
That we are not hopeful and excited, waiting, just believing that eventually we are going to make a technological breakthrough that will solve all of our problems. Or eventually our education system will get fixed enough that everybody that comes through it will know exactly what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. But our confidence rests in the person who is our righteousness, who is a king forever and a priest forever, and who can bring about through his wisdom, his righteousness, the very society that he has promised. And so we follow him. But this is what is promised, a person and a peace. And so we as Christians often call our Lord and Savior the Prince of Peace. Because those two things go together. Then we ask the question, well, how is this going to happen? The Lord gives to Jeremiah the vision of what's going to happen. The question is, how is it going to happen? And there's two words I'd like to focus on. The first one is that it's unconditional. Did you notice as we were reading through it, I tried to emphasize it in reading it without being annoying, that God puts in the first person every one of these promises. Verse 6, behold, I will bring it to health and healing. I will heal them. Verse 7, I will restore. Verse 8, I will cleanse them. I will forgive them. Verse 11, I will restore the fortunes. Verse 14, I will fulfill the promise that I made. I will cause a righteous branch. But there are no conditions placed upon Israel or any descendants of Israel for the fulfillment of this promise. Which is one of the most shocking things when you study a comparative religion between the God of Israel and other gods of the day. That he would come on his own and promise to do something and put his name on the line without demanding any conditions that he is so fixed in his purpose of what he intends to do that he promises to do it that he will restore he will cleanse he will forgive he will restore and all of the initiative is on him And one of the reasons we're so thankful that he's willing to act in such a way is because if it was not this way, if it was not an unconditional promise and something was put on us to bring this about, we would fail and restoration would never come. It's almost as if, if you can think about it in physical terms, the destruction of Jerusalem that takes place and the vast majority of people are sent out away from their homeland, off to Babylon, if they survive. God is saying, I'm moving you out of the way so that when this takes place, when this restoration happens, when new life springs up, you will know it was only by my grace. You weren't there when I was doing it. I asked you to go off somewhere so I could get this done. And some of you have known this in different times where you've maybe had to train somebody up in, in your own professions and you, you've been assigned training the new employee and you're trying to teach them and teach them and 
Eventually, the clock is running and you realize, I just need to get certain things done. And I could really get a lot more done if you... Give me, go get me a cup of coffee. <laughs> could you, that'd be great. Just go get me a cup of coffee. They go off and then you get the work done. Now, eventually, your hope is to get them to a place where they can get the work done. But it's almost something like that happening here where God is saying, as you're being removed, as you're being separated from this land, You're not being separated from the promise, but I'm the one who's going to bring it about. I am the one who will receive all of the good and all of the glory and all of the praise for what is going to be done because I, without condition, am going to restore the fortunes of your people. It's his promise. It is without condition. And then did you pick up as we were concluding What it says here at the end in verses 21 and on, it's not only unconditional, it's irrevocable. Verse 21, then also my covenant with David, he describes starting in verse 20, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that the day and the night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. When you can figure out how to make the sun no longer rise, when you can figure out how to make the stars not come up at night, when you can break the covenant that I have made with the appointed times, the fixed order of heaven and earth, Verse 25, if you can do that, then maybe you can get me to break my covenant with my people. So good luck. Try. In other words, this is irrevocable. Just like you can't prevent me from bringing the sun up in the morning and the stars out at night, you cannot stop the fixed order that I have put into place in heaven and earth. I cannot be stopped. In my passionate pursuit of restoring a people for my own name and for my own glory. It's an unconditional and irrevocable promise that he is giving. This is the good news that gives Jeremiah hope even though he is bound in prison. That the God that he serves is going to bring about a peace through a person, without condition, and without end. Jeremiah, in a prison, can say the God that he serves is going to bring about a peace through a person without condition and without end. And so Jeremiah wants to share this message to people even though he's in prison. And we, as recipients of this message, as heirs of the promise of all the blessings that come through Jesus Christ, the person who is king forever, who is our prince of peace, who has promised that as he left this earth that he is going to prepare a place and a place that Revelations describes much like Jeremiah describes here, where there will be no pain and no suffering where there will be security and prosperity, that our Lord has promised to us those things. And he has demonstrated the certainty of that promise by his own resurrection from the dead. 
that what people around him thought in putting him into the grave, that they were putting to an end his life, sprung forth new life, resurrected life that is immortal and that will never suffer death again. And so Jesus, as he walked around, said to people, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? That anyone who believes in me, though he dies, yet he will live? Anyone who believes in me will experience the resurrection that I experience. This is the good news that we have to communicate to the world. And so, as recipients of this good news, we can work backwards, if you will. And we have opportunities to share this message where this promise is not realized. And so if we believe that the person, Jesus, cares about the peace that he's here described, then when we walk around in our day and age and see areas where this is not being experienced, that's where we have the opportunity to bring this good news. We have the opportunity when we see a crime rate in a city to say this is offensive to our God. The person, Jesus Christ, cares about the fact that this is not a safe neighborhood. And so we care about that. And we want to bring a message that he brought to these people. We care about a society that is not characterized by just a shared prosperity and a a mutual protection and honoring of rights. But when there is abuse and manipulation, we speak out against abuse and manipulation because it offends the peace which our king has promised to bring. And yet we don't try to, in any way, to ignore the very person who can bring it about. And so when we see people who are struggling with things and they're working so hard to bring them about and as we connect with them in our daily lives and we rub shoulders with them, we challenge them as to whether or not their peace has any basis for certainty. What they desire, what they long for. Is there any, is there any reason to be confident in it? And for us, we can look to the person of our Lord Jesus and say, we're confident in it. We believe that our hope, that our future is certain and therefore we have hope because of his life, his death, and his resurrection. And therefore, we're motivated, inspired to share this message locally, regionally, globally because of what he's done And when we recognize that this is the way in which God is bringing about his kingdom in this world, it affects the way we view humility and pride. See, when when you understand that salvation rests in you and what you can accomplish, or your evangelism rests in you and what you can accomplish, then it would be proud or arrogant for you or I to walk around with any sense of confidence and hope in our salvation or the salvation of anybody else. We can say we're trying. We can say we hope that that might happen, but hope there doesn't really mean biblical hope like we're talking about. It's just kind of like a wishful thinking because if we, if we believe that it's conditioned upon us and our obedience, 
our faithfulness, then if we're honest with ourselves, we have no reason to have confidence or hope. But when we believe that it rests in him and his willingness to stay true to his word, to be faithful to his promise, to accomplish his purpose, then we can have confidence in him, in our salvation and in the salvation of others without being proud because we're simply taking him at his word. When you stand in confidence of your salvation and as you go forth to evangelize and believe that others will be saved, you can go forth in confidence and humility because you're simply humbly taking him at his word. And so the challenge for us as believers individually and collectively as Lakeside, is are we characterized by this humble confidence in God's willingness to fulfill his promise? But he has given us a vision of a place that will come about through a person without condition and without end. Is there anything better to talk about? To share with the people that you know and you rub shoulders with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the vision of you and who you are and what you have done for us just so far exceeds our own understanding. We can't wrap our minds around it. Father, that no matter how much we rebel, no matter how much we run away, we never become less valuable in your eyes. But you treasure us. And because you treasure us when we're lost, you come to find us. Father, I pray that someone here who thought that they were coming looking for you will discover that you have been looking for them. That you left heaven to look and to search. Father, that you are willing to leave the 90 and 9 and to go after the one that is lost. Father, may no person here think of themselves as less valuable or important in your eyes wherever their life has brought them to. And Father, we pray that you would just continue to fan the flame of our imaginations, our dreams, and our plans who've embraced and received your person, our Lord Jesus. And that you would allow our lives to be characterized by a a humble confidence in all that he is bringing about in our world and in the world to come. We thank you for the good news that is without condition and without end. Amen.